So today we're having baptisms, and I want to um, teach on baptism. And I, 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 I'm a my pendulum with regard to this is probably not where the average preacher's pendulum is. If you know, if, if this is centered, and, and I see a lot of not not necessarily just here within our church family. Um, but in, in the church in general and, and you know, in Christianity in general, I, I see the pendulum over here. And so I think mine swings this way to overcompensate. And, and I'll explain what that is when we get there. But you're, you might have a sense, like I've, I've heard teaching on baptism a hundred times, and you, know, you talk about this instead of that because that's where my burden is today. So anyway, we'll talk about what is baptism. We'll talk about is baptism necessary for you to actually be reconciled to God for salvation. And then we'll uh, talk about why are people baptized. And then, uh, Margie, we have one more song we're going to sing, right? We're going to sing one yay happy song together. And then we're going to go across the parking lot and we're going to baptisms. And it's going to be glorious. So, just diving right in, what is baptism? When we see baptism baptized in our English in the New Testament, it's trans. It's literally a transliteration of the word baptizo in the Greek. So for some reason, rather than taking baptizo and then uh, translating it to what it means, they just kind of gave it an English name, but not so much a translation. But if you were in, maybe still in Greece, I don't know if it's a common word today, but back then... Um, what is it if you if you have a party and you have like a little thing and there's chocolate bubbling up inside and you take a piece of banana and you stick it in it? All I could think of was souffle. I told Google every way I could imagine to get it to tell me that fondue. And Google was not as smart as it typically is. Fondue. So if they were having a nice little party in that day and, and there was a chocolate bubbling volcano and banana pieces or whatever or cheese, you know, and and they put their stick on a banana, they would say, oh, you know, it's better if you baptize it in the chocolate. It literally means to be <laughs> submersed or immersed down in. Baptize in the chocolate. So you can think of, as you're going down, you know, if you want it to feel better, you can think that you're a little piece of banana <laughs> going down in only chocolate. It, it's nothing fancy. It's just to be completely submerged in. Now, it has symbolism to it that's, that's very important, but, but why they didn't translate it, you know, and, and 3,000 were, were dipped in the water like a banana in chocolate on that day, and they just changed the word. So that's what, it, that's what baptized means. It means to be fully immersed in the water. Just a word. Some parts of Christianity um, baptized by sprinkling you know, if a grown man, and they might sprinkle them with some water. Or a little baby, they have some doctrines that say that, you know, you bring your little baby up and you sprinkle them. There's no biblical precedent for either of those. Everywhere where we see baptism, it's baptism in the water. No, nowhere in the Bible do we see people being sprinkled. And quite frankly, nowhere in the Bible do we see babies being baptized. I'm not going to I'm not going to tackle that one today, but typically a person would be baptized properly, biblically, after they've come to faith in Jesus Christ, and then they would be baptized. Now there can be exceptions. Remember, um, 
Dave Ward, Keith's friend, that uh, he was literally two weeks from death. He had very you know, cancer ravaged his body, and Keith and I went over and shared the gospel. Um, but he couldn't be taken to a pub or a pool and baptized. He was just physically didn't have it. So we baptized him into a mixing bowl. And his uh, sister-in-law brought us a big bowl with water in it, and we baptized his hand. But when we baptized his hand, he was actually making that proclamation. We just couldn't get him down in the water. So, you know, when, when we get into these these doctrinal squawks about, you know, do we baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Do we baptize him in water completely or do we sprinkle him? If we're arguing about those things, we're missing the whole idea of why we're being baptized. So when you get baptized, if I baptize you, you have a choice. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's how the apostles did it in the book of Acts. When Jesus commanded it, he said, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why in the world people get so cranked up over one way or the other, I do not know. What matters is your heart and the declaration that you're making to the world about what's happened to you. Okay, well that one was easy. This one will take a few more minutes on. There are uh, large parts of the church that believe that unless you're baptized, you can't be saved. Is baptism a required function of salvation? It is not. Let me say in loud, bold letters, no. If somebody professed faith in Jesus Christ according to the way that the scriptures would indicate and never got baptized and then they died, they're in heaven. They are. Let me give you some, some scripture to show you why. The two places in the New Testament that people would say you must be baptized to be saved are typically here. First is in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. This is Jesus speaking. And he said to them, go into all the world. This is, this is Mark's rendition of what we would call the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. So he references on the front side, believed and been baptized. But on the back side where he says shall be condemned, he only says they didn't believe. He doesn't say anything about not being baptized. My personal sense is what Jesus was indicating was that they've believed and they've made a public profession of their belief. They've, they've, they've said it. They've confessed him as their Lord and their Savior. But if they didn't believe, it doesn't matter whether they got baptized or they didn't get baptized or anything. As a matter of fact, I was going to tell this later. I'll tell it now. I got a text like 10-something at night earlier this week from a lady I don't know. Uh, Pastor Pat, so-and-so gave me your phone number. I've got this situation in our family. Would you be willing to help? I said, anything, I, you betcha. Let's talk tomorrow. <laughs> and so we did. We talked the next day, and I asked a bunch of questions. I'm trying to understand how this situation could be present in their lives. Um, church-going people uh, asked her some questions. We're, we're going to actually meet and minister to this situation. Um, how about your husband? Are you married? Your husband a Christian? Yeah. Okay, that didn't sound too convincing. Is your husband a Christian? Well, he goes to church with me, and he's been baptized. I said, okay. And we're talking this morning. She said, you know, but we went out to dinner with these people, and my husband started to 
money? I'm not sure, you know, as Christians that, that we should be doing that. He said, well, if they would have told me that, I wouldn't have been a, become a Christian. And I didn't say anything to her, but and I hate to hear that about that guy, but that's why I, I don't believe in a two-minute it saves him. He's, somebody shared the gospel somewhere or another to an altar call, I don't know what. And then baptized this guy, but he's not interested in conforming his life to Jesus. So I feel sad for him because nobody explained to him the kind of stuff that we're going to talk about today that would cause him to actually make an informed decision instead of, you know, just kind of a half-baked decision, probably keep his wife off his back. But because the word says specifically, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, people say, well, there it is right there, if you're not baptized, you can't be saved. I'll show you why that's not true in a minute. The second scripture is in the book of Acts. Now, Peter, Peter is preaching this gospel. I mean, this is like the day of Pentecost day. It's like the, the, the birth of Christianity. The birth of the church has just happened. God has shaken Jerusalem, and, and he picked a day when all the people are in Jerusalem. They come in for the Passover, and they hear this sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it must have been something because people from all around Jerusalem came to this place where the Holy Spirit had descended, and literally the first disciples of Jesus were baptized, what we would call baptized in the Holy Spirit at that moment. And they came, and now Peter is preaching to them, and... At this point, the Holy Spirit has touched them. It says, now when they, the crowd, heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Essentially, they've come face to face with their eternal situation. They've been enlightened, and they're wanting to respond, oh my gosh, I am dead in my sins. I am under the wrath of God. What must I do? And Peter's response, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter's answer is you need to repent. Now, Mark said that you need to believe. That's why you can't take how do I get saved from any one verse. You have to look through the, the whole of the New Testament and see how it, how it is that somebody actually responds to Christ to get born again. Peter says that you need to repent. You do need to repent. Mark says you need to believe. Guess what? You do need to believe. What do you need to do? You need to repent and believe. That's not today's sermon, but those are the two components of saving faith. So, repent and each of you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, someone reads this and they say, well, all right, if somebody wants to be saved, first they have to repent. And second, they have to be baptized so that their sins can be forgiven. And interestingly, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's important to this conversation, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1. So that's the two scriptures that would, that would tend to lead you to believe that if you're not baptized, you're not saved. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation... So the person heard the gospel, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. See, Peter said, and you will receive the 
Holy Spirit. Here, what Paul is saying is that you, once you actually believed, God sealed you in the Holy Spirit. It, it's like a, you got a, a like a, a signet ring stamping that the Holy Spirit is God's pledge unto your ultimate inheritance. I don't suppose that I'm doing this very well. Let me read the, the next one and I'll come back. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. But when somebody says, how do you know if a person's born again or not? Which, you know, you can't necessarily know, but this is true, is do they have the Holy Spirit? Not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but the indwelling. Are they the temple of God and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of them? That's the answer. And here's the scripture that would indicate that. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He does not belong to him. Now, that's not two different spirits. It's interesting. The Spirit of God. Sometimes Holy Spirit is described as God's Spirit. Sometimes he's described as Jesus' Spirit. He's not two spirits. He's one Spirit. He's the third person of the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If a person has the Holy Spirit, they belong to God. They're saved. They're born again. How do you know? Because God has sealed them in his Spirit. All right, so somebody says you have to be baptized to be saved, and they give us two scriptures. We see in these two scriptures that if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. It's the seal. It's the pledge of God unto your ultimate inheritance when you go to be with him for all of eternity. Does that make sense? You get it? Okay. Now, Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 48. The backstory here is Peter is in a, I think he's in Joppa or Joppa, I forget exactly where he's at. And this guy Cornelius is a Roman centurion and he's someplace else. He's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile, Roman, you know, important, like, I don't know, centurion. Must be over a hundred somethings. Uh, but he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. So Peter has this vision, and he's told, hey, listen, some guys are going to come and, and, and tell you to come with them. You're going to go with them. And then uh, Cornelius, the centurion, he gets an angel, I think, comes and talks to him and says, hey, listen, you need to send some people to this guy, Peter, who's over here, and have him come back, and he's going to come and talk to you, whatever. So the centurion sends a couple of servants. Peter is waiting for him because he had a vision. He goes, and he's over to this Gentile Roman's house. Now, the, the Jews didn't believe that Christianity was for anybody but them. They're God's chosen people. The Messiah came for us. Most of them didn't even believe in the Messiah. But they didn't believe necessarily that a Gentile could be saved, even though the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, would have indicated that. So Peter comes and he starts to preach the gospel to what, what's called the house of Cornelius, Cornelius and his people. Uh, Acts chapter 10, starting in 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. Circumcised believers means Jews. Circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So the big deal for Peter, the big aha that God wanted Peter to get was 
salvation, Jesus is for the Gentile, not just the Jew. He said they, they can't be refused the waters of baptism. Well, who do you baptize? Saved people, right? You don't baptize unsaved people. Peter would have never taken down to the river and baptized people that hadn't made a sincere confession of Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. You baptize saved people. Now, if in Ephesians 1 and Romans 8 we see that having the Holy Spirit means that you belong to God, that you're saved, that you're born again, and Peter said they are saved because they have the Holy Spirit, the reason he knew is because they spoke in other tongues. They spoke in tongues, and Peter said, wow, that's what happened to us when the Holy Spirit was given to us. Who could refuse them the water? I command you now, take them down and let's baptize them right now. So, you know, they're on their way to get baptized, and some crazy chariot driver who's not paying attention runs Cornelius over, and he drops dead right there. Does he go to hell, or does he go to heaven? He goes to heaven. How do we know? Because he was saved. How do we know? Because he had the Holy Spirit. How did Peter know? Because he was exhibiting the gift of the Holy Spirit of tongues. So when somebody says, you, you don't have to argue with me if you don't want, but it's a, it's a really big deal, and I'll explain that in just a second. If somebody wants to argue and say, no, 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 you can't go to heaven unless you're baptized. And if you're born again, you need to get baptized. There's no question about that. But it's not a requirement for salvation. And we know that because Peter declared house of Cornelius to be saved and they hadn't yet been baptized. But, lickety-split, he's like, the next thing, we don't stop in the epilogue, we don't say, wow, isn't that interesting? They're Gentiles, we take them now to the water and we baptize them. So, why is it a big deal that, okay, I believe I have to be baptized or I don't believe I have to be baptized to be saved? In the book of Galatians, Paul you know, goes to this Roman province of Galatia, and he establishes this church, or these churches in Galatia. And uh, he teaches them, and he establishes probably eldership in the church, and, and gets them all ready to go, and then you know, he's on his way to the next place. Behind him come in some false apostles, and false teachers, and they're teaching that you can't be a Christian unless you're a Jew. So all you Gentile Christians aren't really saved because you've got to become a Jew first. And that requires just a little teeny bit of surgery. That's when it's good to be a girl, I guess. So, so the, the church in Galatians, they're pondering this thing. It's like, hmm, you know, Paul never said we can't do that. And somehow Paul gets wind of what's going on in the Galatian church, and he writes this letter back to them that, that we see in our Bibles as the book of Galatians. And in chapter 5, Paul makes this powerful declaration to the Galatian church. He said, if you who would take on if you take on circumcision, you have fallen from grace, right? You're saved by grace through faith. You've fallen from that grace. It doesn't exist for you anymore. You've been severed from Christ, and Christ is of no value to you anymore, you who wish to be under law. So, so essentially what Paul is saying is you're denying that the work of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, wasn't sufficient completely to pay your sin debt. Because you're saying that that was, that was important, but I also got to add this little work of my own, the surgery, 
in order to complete what was necessary for me to be saved. The minute that we try to, or we believe, that anything of our works, any of our own righteousness is part of the equation unto our salvation, then Jesus becomes of no value to us because we've chosen to be righteous before God in self-righteousness, not imputed righteousness. What would be the difference between somebody saying exactly the same thing about baptism? Well, Jesus, I mean, he covered 90% of the way, but I have to be baptized in order to be reconciled to God. I think it's exactly the same thing. It's, it's a work of our own righteousness. Necessary. See, the key is necessary. If, if, a, if a fellow wants to get circumcised for cosmetic reasons, knock yourself out. It's okay. I mean, they only do it to babies because babies can't fight back. But, but it has no bearing on your salvation unless you think it's necessary for your salvation. So I think the same is true about baptism. That's why it's such a big deal. If somebody says, no, I can't be saved unless I choose to be baptized, then they're saying that the, the work of Christ was not sufficient. A little, bit of, a little bit of my own righteousness in there. Game over. You who wish to be under law. So, baptism is an absolute I want to say requirement of Christianity, but not a requirement of salvation. I mean, you know, you wait 20 years, that's a long time, he's, he's okay with that, but, but at the end of the day, if Bruce never gets baptized, he's going to go to heaven. If on the way across, he trips in the now I'm not even talking about that. But, but the point is, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. But because you're saved, you need to be baptized. Okay. Get it? Make sense? Work? Okay. How many believe you got to be baptized to be saved? All right. <laughs> Good job. So then finally, the bigger question now is, why are people baptized? Let's go to the Great Commission again. We, we heard a chunk from Mark's Great Commission. Let's listen to a chunk from where Matthew cites the Great Commission. Chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus again is speaking. As Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. That's an important word, disciples. Everybody say disciples. He didn't say converts, right? Somebody who, who converts to Christianity. He said disciples. Big deal. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, at the barest of bare, why do we baptize? Because Jesus said to He commanded it. Go into the nations, preach gospel, baptizing them in the name, so here he said, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Peter said, baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My guess is it's synonymous. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So the, the primary reason we were baptized is because Jesus told us to. But then the reason he told us to is there's, there's substantial something that goes on when we get baptized. Matter of fact, let me just take one little short dory trail on baptism. There is a baptism like water baptism that we do. We're going to do it today. We're going to talk about it today. There's a, there's a second baptism that the Bible speaks of. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it can happen synonymously. Yeah. Simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Simultaneously with water baptism. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But that baptism is the baptism that Jesus talked about in 
Acts chapter 1, when he said, all right, I'm about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. You know, I've already told you, go into all the nations, preach the gospel, teach them to obey me, baptize them. But before you do anything, you go back into the city and you wait for the gift of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, by which you will be given power in my words. So, we might see somebody come up out of that tub speaking in tongues, or I don't know what, but they might be baptized in the Holy Spirit as they're baptized in water. They might not. But the specific thing that we're doing today is we're, we're responding to Jesus' command to be water baptized. Well, why number one? Jesus said to do it, and it's it's typically, I mean, here, you know, if you get if you get saved in January in church on the street, there's no baptism here until the weather gets a little warmer. Sometimes we send people to other churches that could, you know, they got inside baptism, but here we're trying to beat you down through the ice. It's just so uncomfortable. I got one. We do it because he told us to. Okay, um, let me just give you a, a, a little course of scripture from Romans that, that, that gives you a sense of not water baptism, but, but what happened when you became a Christian, when you were in a major confession of faith. And it's represented in this book. about to do it. And that's from Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 7. So the Apostle Paul is speaking. He says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? So when you became a Christian, remember baptized like you know, the little banana goes down to the chocolate or whatever. You were literally baptized in that moment of faith, baptized in the Christ. You became a member of Jesus Christ, a literal part of Jesus Christ, baptized into Christ. All of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus has been baptized into his death. Well, when we go into the water over here, that's baptized into his death. It's a symbolism, it's a declaration that I recognize that I've been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. So the Apostle Paul has kind of given us a spiritual picture of what's going on that's going to be represented in the, in the I don't know, the physical, the actual of the baptism, is that, that these people that are being baptized are declaring publicly that they're dead. They don't have a life anymore. They've died to themselves. And that's important because, see, Jesus didn't call us to go and make converts. Hey, do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? Are you willing to repent from your sin and, and serve him as Lord? Sure. Okay, you pray this prayer with me and then go about their way. No, Jesus said to go make disciples. People that look like him. People that follow him. People that seek after his teaching to understand his ways and then to walk in those ways. A disciple, a learner, a student, a follower of Jesus Christ. It's really, really a big deal that you're not called to be saved. You're called to be a disciple and there's a lens that I want you to think about. It's the lens of the kingdom. And this is this is really fairly new for me. 
portrayed in the churches like, hey, you know, you need to get saved, right? And it's all about me. I need to get saved. I'm, I'm lost to God. I'm eternally damned. I'm, I'm, I'm under the wrath of God if I don't change something here and there. But Jesus came and he proclaimed his kingdom was at hand. That, that God was restoring the kingdom to this earth. I don't know if you said it on uh, last Sunday, Kenner, but when, when you talk to Kenner, it, he, if you ask him what is the earth, his answer is God set the kingdom. This is where Satan was sent. This is where all the fallen angels were sent. This is where sin originated. I mean, well, maybe it originated in heaven, but it's, it permeates this whole fallen, broken, septic tank of the world. And now Jesus is reestablishing his kingdom. He came himself to establish his kingdom. He declared the kingdom is at hand. Repent, because his kingdom is a kingdom of light, and the earth is a kingdom of darkness. He's the king of the kingdom of light. Satan is the king of the kingdom of darkness. So as you're seeing these things, don't just think in terms of, I'm going to get my sins forgiven so I don't have to go to hell, I need to go to heaven. That is true. But that is so narrow in the perspective of what's really going on. He has brought you into his kingdom. Where is the kingdom? It's within you if you're born again. And now he's wanting to expand it. And the time will come when he comes like a thief in the night and he is going to establish himself on this earth as king of this earth. And he's going to take the king of the kingdom of darkness and he's going to put him bound up in the pit for a thousand years. And on this earth, Jesus will fully establish his kingdom until the end of that reign. And then well, judgment happens and eternity starts. So just hear and think in terms of we're establishing God's kingdom on earth. When he taught us to pray, what did he say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are people who are about our Father's business, establishing his kingdom, soul after soul after soul after soul after soul. Okay. We've been baptized into his death. We've been buried with him through baptism. Not the thing that we do with the water, but through the confession and the understanding. We have life new resurrected life in him. Our life is in him. Okay, so why number two? Why number one? Because next will be why we baptize. I, why number two, why we baptize is, is the person making a public statement of faith and understanding. See, that guy I told you about from the lady that texted me, he didn't have any understanding of why he was baptized. Or he wouldn't have gotten baptized because he didn't die to himself. He said, well, if they would have told me what the program was, I wouldn't have bothered with any of this. Now, this is where my pendulum swings out a little past center, I think. But I really do think the pendulum of understanding is over here, so you'll just have to bear with me. Matthew 10, 24 through 39. It's, it's a long bit of scripture, but I want to use it to emphasize the fact that what Jesse will be doing, what Lori will be doing, what these people will be doing is they will be making a confession in front of all of us. And we're going to hear what they say. Confession is a big deal. You're not supposed to make vows as a Christian, right? I, I confessed a vow that I didn't keep before all you guys. And, and I get to deal with some discipline from the Lord as a result of that. He says, my yes should be yes and my no should be no. And as, as Jesse goes into that water and comes out, he's making a, a, a vow, a confession, just like you would in a marriage. Jesus becomes 
above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple. You don't hear him say convert. He speaks of us in this term, disciple. It is enough for the disciple that he became like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Now, Jesus is speaking of himself right here, right? The, the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, they, they called him Beelzebul, which is literally a name for Satan himself. And Jesus is saying, listen, my disciples, my people, members of my body, if, if they malign me, you can count on they're going to malign you too. So when you make that statement, it's like, it's like you're going to lose friends. Because where you stand now is different from where they stand. And you're not going to say, hey, you can't be my friend anymore. And they're not going to say, I don't want to be your friend anymore. But you become very uncomfortable to the darkness. It happened to us. We lived on Lake Shannon. Our life was beautiful weekends on a pontoon boat with a big old cooler full of beer. And you meet out at the islands and you drink beer all afternoon and you have a good time. And, and we became Christians. But we loved all our friends. They'd call, hey, are you going to go out to the island today? Yeah, we're going to be out there. We'll be a little late today. We've got to do some stuff, blah, 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 whatever. Okay, we'll see you out there. You know, we have a nice time. Get saved. You guys going to be out there? Yeah, we're going to be out there. Go out there. Oh, you don't have any beer. Here, take a beer. No, it's okay. Nobody told us we couldn't drink. Something just happened. No, thanks. Visit happy, happy, and me. Next weekend, you know, are you coming? Yes, I'm coming. Great. Be out there. Next weekend. Oh, there's a thing going on over here. Ooh, nobody calls. Why? Because the light is uncomfortable. To the because see, they know. God says in Romans, you know, through the Apostle Paul, that they know him. They deny him. They don't like la 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 But they know him. Deep inside, he makes sure that they know him. And when the light comes and we don't drink, we don't care that you drink. You've not made a professional faith. You haven't called Jesus for it. It's okay. Do what you want. But we made them uncomfortable. The light made them uncomfortable. Jesus made them uncomfortable. We just were their friends. But pretty soon, after maybe six months, there was no relationship anymore. Right. Because the darkness is not comfortable with the light. Right. And the light, you know, it's going to shine. It's light. So, if they malign Jesus, they're going to malign you. You should just be ready for it. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Don't be afraid of them. It'll all come out. The light is going to expose everything sooner or later. What I tell you, Jesus speaking again, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him... God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So when they malign you, you know, I mean, it was worse for them than it is for us. We live in a country that's still sort of Christian. Right? We don't necessarily no, get hurt that bad. It's, it's changing, and it's actually changing pretty rapidly, and we should be prepared for it, right. right? But it was really bad for them. I mean, some of them were killed. Their possessions were taken away, and Jesus told them, be prepared, but listen, don't fear what they can do to you. Fear what he can do to you. And he's speaking to us, right? And I think what he's saying is stand. Stand firm. Remember the one who 
And the next thing you know, we're making confessions that are contrary to what we said was true and who we were going to be in our lives. That's why it's so important that when you start your Christian life, you understand what it is that you actually signed up for. You hear people say all the time, right? They have a marital problem. Oh, you know, I never signed up for this. It's like, well, you married the church? Yeah. Did you make any vows? Yeah. Tell me about that. Hmm. For better? For better. For health? Wait a minute. For worse? For sickness? For richer? For poorer? It's like, well, guess what? Did you say those things? Well, yeah. Hard to understand? They're not hard to understand. You made those confessions. That was what formed the covenant that you have between you and your spouse. And now you get to experience a little of the, the this side. You stand firm. You don't entertain thoughts about whatever. Because you made that vow. You battle those thoughts. You get somebody to come alongside you. That's why what you're doing today, it's like, oh, you know what happened? Yeah, it's so fun. It's awesome. It's glorious. But you're saying to us, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am dead to myself. I am resurrected in Christ. And I am going to live with him as my Lord and my master to bring glory to his name, to expand his kingdom, to be a disciple, a follower, someone who's going to seek to understand his will and then go about being pleasing to him. That's what this is about. When he says, he who has found his life will lose it. So I can have whatever life I want, right? Our friends on the lake that don't, don't have Jesus in their life, they, they can drink beer until they puke all the time. That's their life. They get to have whatever life they want. But when that life is done, the natural life is done, then they're going to lose life eternal. Because they, not, not because they drank beer. Teresa and I did everything that they did. But they've never given themselves to and so at the end of this life, they lose life. But the one who has died to this life, for Jesus' sake, isn't that interesting? Not just for my sake, but for his sake, gets to have life eternal with him. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. So Jesus isn't saying, I came to separate a marriage. He came saying that because you're called to such a high place, your devotion to me has to make your devotion to the most dear things in your life look like hate in comparison. And you have to decide between, you may have to, decide between me and them. And come to bring peace between the two of you. Although if you are a disciple and you walk as Jesus walked, guess what? Your marriage is going to be awesome. Your relationship with your children is going to be awesome. Their relationship with you will be awesome. If we all walk as disciples, then our, our unbending devotion to Jesus makes every other relationship better. But he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. So I have um, two personal examples. One's a little one and one's a bigger one that, that I want to share with you because I've been tested in this. As a matter of fact, I could give three, but I promised Tanya Grace she could be the good example. <laughs> but Tanya Grace and I had this conversation at one time, you know, the Lord said to me, Pat, where are you going to put the sword? I love Tanya so much, and I love what Tanya brought to my life so much. But I said, Lord, between me and her, not between me and you. I don't offer her anything worth having if I, if I were to bend to some ungodly thing as her father. I, I don't cause her any blessing. So, earlier this week, who you know, just part of the story, had her greater than 
five grade point average award thing during the week. She's definitely gets her brains from her mom, but her good looks from me. Annika has a perfect attendance record at school. It's important to her. And she doesn't have to take finals, so she keeps it that way. And I don't remember what day it was. You know, if, if, if she's got a late start day and I wake her up early thinking, hey, she's not up yet, she gets mad at me because she got to sleep in and I messed up her sleep in. Well, it turns out she didn't get up and it wasn't a late start day, but I didn't wake her up because I thought maybe it was. She gets up, Dad, why didn't you wake me up? Oh, you know, and, and she was late for school. So in the run around, she said, Dad, write me a, a note to excuse my absence. I'm like, well, what do I put down for the excuse? I didn't get out of bed. I'm not sure that's going to matter. <laughs> the point is, I could have written her a note, and it would have definitely excused her absence. I could have said, you know, she gave me some examples of things I could have written a note. <laughs> <laughs> I could have written those things down. But I made a confession. I'm not going to tell a lie. I'm not going to stretch the truth. So I did. I wrote her a note. Dear school, please excuse Annika's first hour absence. Every He says, Dan, you didn't say anything. I said, well, what is this? I said, it's a plea for mercy. And <laughs> 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 the best I got is to ask them to give you mercy. Because, see, God says, Pat, where does the sword go? Does it yes. go between you and me? And you write the note that tells them something that's not true, but Annika gets to keep, you know, this excellent. And so she's got like a week left in her high school career. It's just right down to the wire. Her nose is about to go across the line. Or Pat, you put the sword here and risk, bless you, because she didn't give me credit. She didn't say, you know, you're a bad dad because you did whatever. She took her lumps. It was her, you know, it is what it is. But my confession won't allow me to write a letter that's not true help her get something, you know, it's, it was minor, it was nothing, but it's not nothing, it's something. It's, it's where do you stand? What decision did you make? And it could have caused, you know, me to have grief with Annika. The bigger story is Ashley. You know, we saw Ashley last week, she wanted to be hugs and stuff, you know, that relationship between all of us and Ashley, I think it's getting better, but Ashley would tell me all the time, I can't live in this house. Well, why not? Because I can't live under your rules. Well, you know, I get my rules from the scriptures. That's how this house operates. You can do what you want when you're 18, but until you're 18, you are going to live in this house, and you're going to live under the rules that we find. And Ashley will lose her mind sometimes. I mean, it's horrible. But we never vent. We never vent. One thing I might have said too many times was, when you are 18, be careful, parents, with that one. They'll remember that. When you're 18, you can do what you want, but not under this roof. That's how it is. She turned 18, about 18 in two weeks, declared herself an adult. I'm leaving. Okay. Don't have a driver's license. Don't have a I'm not too concerned. <laughs> Turns out she's got some guy named Victor in Indianapolis that she's been video chatting with for six months, and, and Victor's coming to get me, and I'm going to live with Victor. Ashley, maybe we could compromise a little. You know, I don't want to go with some creepy guy. I think it turns out he's not a creepy guy, but but he's not a Christian. And I don't want her to go to Indianapolis where there's nobody to protect her. Or if the guy turns out to be a creepy guy, who's going to help her in less than five or six or seven hours? But see, I made a confession to Jesus. And uh, how does that one go? Um, Joshua, 
it, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. Our house serves the Lord. If you're in it, at least the best as I can make it, you're going to serve the Lord too. If you don't want to, I guess you, you know, you go with me. Where do I put the sword, Pat? I put it between you and me, and you compromise over here so that Ashley doesn't end up down there. That, that's a scary thing. No, I don't, Lord. I trust you, Lord, that Ashley's going to be okay. I'll put her in your hand and trust that she's going to be okay. Daddy, me and Victor are getting married. Well, you need to get married. Will you marry us? Why not? Because you're not Christian. How could I create a covenant in God between you two when you've chosen not to have a covenant with God individually? I would love to marry you. I think that would be awesome. Why don't we take some time and just talk about God, and, and then maybe I can. But you're going to walk me down the aisle, right, Dad? If 
I would have had and written a letter to Annika, I would have had an issue. I wouldn't have been cast into hell. I would have had to confess that he would have already known. And, and, and if I was truly repentant, you know, he would have cleansed me of all sin. And then I wouldn't have caused my salvation at all. But if I don't drive that stake firm in the ground, what's the next one coming? What's the next one coming? What's the next one coming? Is it going to be harder? That wasn't that hard because Stan was not going to be on that long for that. Ashley's has been more tough. I mean, it's been tough to stay reconciled to Ashley. I love Ashley. I want the best for Ashley. I love Victor. God told me I had to. For a while there, that's the only reason I wanted to love Victor. But, but the point is, we're holding on to that. But we're not compromising. We don't compromise why are we baptized? First, in obedience to the Lord's command. Secondly, to declare publicly our personal identification with our Lord, proclaiming our death to self, our faith, trust in his resurrection, and finally, that in his resurrection is our resurrection, and in his life is our life. I think it's so important that we truly reflect you. And it's not going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be glorious. We're going to pray, and that door's going to open because Jaden's going to jump up out of that chair and race out the door, and it'll be glorious. Monday night, our brand new believer was in here for the men's meeting. He gets out of the chair, he's standing against the wall. What's going on? Killing me. Somebody didn't know him. said, Well, you need to slow down a little bit. The guys laid their hands on him. That was healed. Glorious. Sometimes it's going to be like that. Sometimes it's going to be, how come they never call us to go off to the island anymore? How come my daughter won't talk to me for a month? How come this or that? Because it's important that we hold the confession. And when we hold the confession, guess what? We look like the city on a hill and different. We're not like everybody else. Because if we're like everybody else, what's the attraction? Initially, it's like, who was it? I think it was Bob Marson. We just got a new sign. We blew it. He wanted us to get a sign, you know, church on the street, come here and die. <laughs> Not so great from a marketing perspective, but pretty true, right? Join us and die. And that's what we've done. We've decided to die to ourselves and live for Christ. Okay, I'm kicking that dead horse too long. Father, today is a wonderful day. It's already happened for all these people. They've already made their confession. They've turned their back. Oh, no, okay, one more I remember, I remember after uh, you know, we got saved, and we'd been saved for a while, and then the Lord called me out of Hugo Packers. Understand, I'm a guy who grew up in like an 800 square foot house. Teresa grew up in a similar situation. My mom was the secretary at Ford. My dad passed away when I was 11. You know, I didn't know I was poor until somebody told me I was poor. But, you know, we had everything, but we didn't have much. And somehow I end up, no college education, by God's grace, I'm, I'm working in this huge corporation, making like a quarter million dollars a year. I remember hearing one time, you know, this is a while ago, of course, uh, a news report that said the average lawyer made $35,000 a year. And I'm like, $35,000 a year? I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to make $35,000 a year. And there I am. we got a five-bedroom house on the lake, 115 feet of frontage, we've got boats, we've got... I mean, we're living the life. I'm a Christian, and God says, leave HP. I didn't even give you the benefit of knowing to what? Leave HP. 
but we did it. We still don't know the why. <laughs> Guess what? You're one. <laughs> but I, I would get up, I still do, every morning, and I would just worship. I would just sing songs to the Lord, pray, and there's this song, it's the um, Lizzie Edwards song, and it's um, blah, 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 I've burned all my bridges. I didn't have the feeling of somebody looking old. And I went, because I hadn't burned my bridges. I kept everybody's phone number from HP. Just in case I needed a job, I started weeping. Maybe I'd already done I don't remember, but the point is, there was no bridge behind me. I didn't have the phone numbers. I wasn't able to call them back. I, I made a decision. This is what you want me to do. This is what I'm doing. We went five years on purpose, no income at all. I gave up a company car, brand new car. Well, at the end, it was every two years. They pay for my internet, they pay for my cell phone, they pay for my house phone, they pay for everything. Unlimited expense account, it was great. And then all of that was gone. But I belong to Jesus. I made a confession. My point is, that's the decision that you made. There's no going back. Burn your bridges. If you left some bridges, torture them. Just torture them. Now you're not being tempted anymore. Burn your bridges. Forward with Jesus. He has blessed this decision. I can't even begin to tell you how he's blessed this decision. Okay. I'm praying again. Thank you, Lord, for the glory of seeing the public proclamation that glorifies you, that glorifies your son. Lord, baptize them in the Holy Spirit if they're not already. Have them come up. Baptize in the Holy Spirit. Speaking in other tongues. Prophesying, Lord. And be glorified. And know that you are